You're listening to the Teak Nation Podcast, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Good day, Teak Nation Podcast listeners. Top of the morning, top of the afternoon, top of the evening, whenever it is that you are listening. My name is Alex Swinson, and I'm delighted to be back with you this week alongside my co-host for the Teague Nation podcast, Chief Executive Officer, Donnie Aldrich. Donnie, we took a week off. Do you feel rejuvenated and refreshed and ready to, to give this podcast an A-plus effort? I think it's well, important. Load management. We'll call it load management. Yeah, I think it's important to note it. It wasn't as if because we didn't do a full podcast episode that we took we the entire any- week off. Yeah. Right. Now. One of the two of us did go on vacation last week, and it wasn't me. But for others, there was a lot of considerable work that was accomplished in the last week to keep moving us forward in attacking our goals. So I am thrilled to be back here with the group and continue to push forward. Years kicking off. I got boundless energy, my man, towards moving this thing where it needs to be. Well, there was still a moderate amount of work that was accomplished for the the one of us that was on. You vacation. did you did accomplish work on your vacation? Just uh, you know, not as much as if I had not been on vacation. But no, Gulf Shores was was delightful, hot, really hot. I managed to avoid a sunburn, which is always a huge positive. But it was a it was a nice little time. Beat the entire family in mini golf, which is a huge ego boost. Of course, we played was tough. It was like the uh, the Oakmont of mini golf courses. It was brutal. There's some weird breaks. And, you know, I, uh, those volcano holes in mini golf, you know, I'm talking about, those are unfair. Those are ridiculous. I like you're asking for someone to just post the six and move on because you have to get that. You have to get that roll. Now I will preface this. I made a three on the volcano hole, but you have to get the roll so perfect, right? Speed, right line, everything. It's stupid. You believe that they build these mocked up tricked up putt-putt courses to be fair no but there's a line between challenging and And lunacy unreasonable and the volcano hole crosses that line that's what i'm saying fair enough all right one of my favorite uh events happens every four years in this case five years the olympics are here tokyo 2020 my wife asked me the other day why they didn't change the sign to say Tokyo 2021. I said, that's a great point, but they're not doing it. Have you taken in any of the Olympic festivities thus far? Yeah, I was speaking to a fellow frauder last night and had a discussion. What's great about the Olympics is some of the things you do take in. So I, I caught about 10 minutes of archery yesterday. That oh, yeah. was that was invigorating. Uh, watched a little three-on-three women's basketball. Forgot yeah, that three-on-three. Three three. Awesome. Yeah, forgot the three-on-three was a sport. 12-second shot clock, getting after it. Uh, what else did I watch? I watched a little bit of men's volleyball. Those guys can really tack yeah. the net. Oh, yeah. Luckily for me, I didn't subscribe to the premium version of Peacock to watch the U.S. men's basketball team lose. So the, a lot of wins this weekend. I just got it on NBC Sports. Uh, a lot of people were saying you can only watch it on Peacock. I just watched it on NBC Sports. Hmm. Something about for their their next impending loss when they play. I think they yeah. can beat Iran next, but it'll be interesting. I mean, maybe we'll see. I thought they would beat Nigeria and didn't happen. Um, yeah, Olympic basketball is uh, a bit of a train wreck for America right now. But 
There's a lot of other good things going on. We won our first Taekwondo gold women's gold medal yesterday. Nice. Uh, took took home a fencing gold in in women's fencing yesterday. Uh, dominating in the pool as usual. So it's been uh, it's been a good few days for America. I, I don't know what the uh, the official medal count is, but we're uh, I think we're at the top. I mean we're we're working it pretty good as always, asserting asserting our excellence on the entire world. I saw where also it is uh, in the mid to upper 90s with mid 70s dew points in Tokyo right now. So I guess after they ran the triathlon yesterday, a bunch of people just, you know, basically died for 15 minutes because they're just miserable, which makes sense. Yeah, that's especially you start thinking about all those outdoor sports, doesn't matter what it is, right? That is going to be an extreme challenge yeah i mean you're gonna have you're gonna have uh, people running marathons in 85 degrees and humid and 10 miles or the the 10,000 meters and the bicycling and the rowing it's got to be brutal but well and the, the biggest challenge and we're not when you have the olympics on the other side of the world is the time change and trying to keep up and trying not to look at your phone to see the result of something that already has occurred that now is being aired and then if you do want to watch something live, I saw the women's basketball team, which I do believe is still going to dominate. Yep. Their games are at 1230 in the morning, right? So yep. you're in a spot where you either have to tape it or unless you're a night owl, then you can stay up and take her in. Well, I, I believe Tokyo is uh, 13 hours ahead of where we are. So what's cool, what they're doing, which I appreciate, and I'm assuming they're going to do the same for for track and field, is they're hosting the major swimming finals at like 9 a.m. in Tokyo, which is 10 p.m. or 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., whatever that works out to, uh, here. So you can, so, so most of the events you're not going to be able to watch live. The gymnastics you're not going to be able to watch live. I know that'll be done and over with before they show it because they'll show gymnastics in prime time and it'll take place, I think, in the evenings or afternoons over there. But the finals, the big finals, they're showing live because they can time it up where we can watch them at 10 o'clock at night and they're just taking place over there early to mid morning. And again, I'm assuming because they, they split, uh, they split swimming and track and field because those are the two biggest draws, I would assume. They split those where swimming's the first week, week and a half, and then track and field's the second week, week and a half. I'm assuming they're going to do that same thing for the 100, the 200, the hurdles, all the stuff in, in track and field that people get excited to watch. So that that's a, that's a benefit. I mean, we're not having to watch these swimming finals on tape delay where we already know who won, which is, which is disappointing. And then you got to avoid social media and avoid the internet and all that for eight hours. If you want to try and be surprised, I'm assuming we'll find out pretty early on in the day tomorrow or Wednesday, how the gymnastics competition goes. But uh, yeah, so far so good. I'm didn't think I'd get gassed up for the Olympics this year because there's a lot going on, but I'm gassed. I'm ready I got you. Other, uh, other world events here. The NBA Finals did come to a conclusion. The Milwaukee Bucks took home the uh, took home the title. I think we both got that wrong, which surprise, surprise. But, sure did. Uh, that was uh, that was exciting. We have to to spend a lot of time on that, but we talked about it a lot, so wanted to come back to it. We're also finding out uh, which NFL players are willing to potentially risk their seasons by not receiving a COVID vaccine. So a lot of fun news on that in the last week to two weeks as the NFL's come out with their vaccination guidelines. 
uh, as Colts fans, I think we can expect to be feeling the heat of some of those regulations in the coming months. Yeah, it's it's something that is obviously a hot button issue across across the world, but especially in this country due to our vast access to the to the vaccine and and where what folks think about the vaccine and where they're getting their information on the vaccine. It's it's obviously it's a hot button issue and everybody is uh, influenced by different media channels and influenced by their family and influenced by whatever medical conditions they have. So it's, I don't think it's something that's going away. I think for the next, for the rest of 2021, it's going to be a large topic of discussion. Obviously there's a number of lawsuits for fo- folks that are being forced to, to get a vaccine and, and folks who are losing their job in some cases because they're not getting the vaccine. Do you want to officially declare this to be a pro-vax podcast or do you not, you not want to go that far? Which Oh, you know, here's what I'll say, Al. Go ahead. You, you've you been vaccinated. I've been vaccinated. That's so, right. Uh, we're, we're blessed that uh, former past grand Preakness, Chris Hansen, who works for uh, the National Institute of Health and has shared and showcased the vast amount of work that went into the vaccine over the past year and all the folks behind it. In doing that, we both felt comfortable to protect ourselves by taking the vaccine. All right. So we're not officially declaring it, but we will declare that we trust Chris Hansen. I think that's I would encourage, here's this, I would encourage folks to get vaccinated. I'm not going to sit here and put a policy out that everyone has to get it. As you know, we don't have that policy inside our building, but I will highly encourage folks to go get it so that we can rid ourselves of this virus and move forward. I would also highly encourage uh, the entire Indianapolis Colts roster to go get it so that they don't have to forfeit games because half the team has COVID because you know, they're all, they're all just trying to, I don't even know, don't even know where to take this, but uh, it's frustrating at times to see not just in, in athletics, but, uh, but across the country, across the world, where there are opportunities to protect yourself and, and get vaccinated. It's not take those opportunities and then to realize the consequences of that decision. That's how it goes. Them's the breaks. All right. That was a quick, uh, quick hitting Olympics NBA Finals COVID vaccine intro. Do we have any any other world events worth discussing or mentioning right now? I was on vacation last week, so I have no idea what's going on anywhere. But <laughs> you know, I think I think the biggest piece, as I said, I I cannot contain how excited I am to get things moving forward. We have Leadership Academy that's going to be occurring yes. here in the next couple of weeks in person, our first in-person event since February of 2020. And and just moving ahead and, and getting getting a fraternity where it needs to be, but most importantly, getting in front of our members, having a little bit of that fraternalism, but even more so pushing people's limits and getting to their potential. And I know as you and I have had conversations, how can we create further influence on the podcast? It's having those types of discussions. And we've tried to bring on guests that that make you think differently. If you If you can't sit and listen to the Andrew Hughes interviews and not be moved by them towards the potential of the human spirit and the human body, then, then I don't know that we can help you. But that really is a big thought process of mine every single day for our organization and for myself, selfishly, is how can how can we take this to the limit? How can we keep pushing it and shifting the dynamic of what fraternity means? And a lot of folks like to talk about they love the fraternity, but do they really act like they love the fraternity? Because I think a lot of folks lust the fraternity. They enjoy it for a short period of time and it's a love affair. And then they move on to, to something else in their life and they leave the fraternity for life behind. And that's, 
that's unfortunate because uh, there's so many experiences and so many opportunities and so much that needs to be done for our current generation of teaks, but future generations and even past generations, these folks that are out there um, that still want engagement from ages 35 to 105. And as you know, that's a lot of the work that we're doing right now behind the scenes and a lot of work that folks are lifting from our volunteer corps to, to completely shift the dynamic of that experience. We got a podcast from Leadership Academy. I'm, I'm unsure if we're going to do a podcast directly from Leadership Academy. We have a ton of media opportunities that we're doing on site, videos we're going to shoot, interviews, catching some of those stories. I know there's some storytelling we're going to do of folks from getting on the plane to Leadership Academy all the way through the experience so that we can really showcase what that, what that program does. You've lived it as a participant, and it's really hard to describe if you haven't lived it. But I think that through the power of video and storytelling, we can do it in a way that we've never done before. Oh, we got a little special something cooked up for the uh, the appreciate those who appreciate some good uh, good half court four on four basketball as well. So, gonna be uh, highlighting just every every different corner of the program. And yeah, I am pumped to get to Colorado. It is we're at that stage now where it's just uh, every every day seems like it drags on forever because we you know, we're, we're taking off a week from Wednesday. My, my threshold for when I get excited for going somewhere is always, when does the 10 day forecast start to creep into the, uh, the beginning of the trip? And we are at that point. So I can go and track what the weather's going to be like in Colorado when we're there gets me jazzed. So, uh, yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be a lot of fun. And I think there's going to be a ton of energy from the participants who have been locked up, cooped up, a lot of them off campus, not doing much critique to get out there and, and really dig into some good stuff. We have a really impressive slate, I think, of presenters coming in this year. We have Major General Whittington, who, if anyone, anyone out of there who's ever seen him speak, we should probably get him on the podcast at some point, as I say these words out loud. Anyone who's ever seen him speak knows that he brings it every single time he's up in front of the room. We have our good friend Jed Collins coming out to Colorado to be a part of the program, which is is really exciting for me because he's essentially taking a break from going and speaking to NFL teams and Division One college football teams to to be with us for a few days, which is a big deal. Um, and just a lot of other really talented people who are going to be out there. So at this point, if you're not coming to Leadership Academy, it's probably too late to get there. Hate to break your heart, but I would encourage you to keep track of what's going on and, and the content we're putting out there and, and keep an eye on it for next year. And if it's something that you think you want to be a part of, or you think somebody in a chapter that you work with wants to be a part of, give them that opportunity because it is, uh, so it's, I mean, it really is once in a lifetime as a participant, you can't, can't go twice. So that will be hopefully the highlight of my summer with all due respect to the vacation that I just returned from. All right, let's get into rule of three here before our guest profile. We have a, uh, a new face coming in for the interview, Kenny Soto. He is a frauder from uh, Kappa Sigma Chapter City College of New York. He's a digital marketing specialist, uh, content creator, does a lot of really cool marketing and, and podcasting. So excited to talk to him. But first, our rule of three, we want to bring it back to where we started the podcast, which is with the Olympics. And my question to you, Donnie, is what are your three favorite Olympic sports slash events? Track and field. I mean, there's no doubt 
to see folks run at that speed, uh, the, the sprinting especially. But I, I love a good relay. Uh, the marathon, it takes a little longer, right? We got to uh, – let's fast forward to mile 20, 25 or so and watch watch the last stretch there. So track and field, I'm, I really do like the basketball, even though obviously that's a quote-unquote standard sport that you see all the time but enjoy some good Olympic basketball. Uh, third one's a bit of a toss up. There's a, a lot, lot of people. From. There is a lot. There's a lot of pieces that I like. I'd like some of the sports that you know you're only watching it right this one time. So for the next four to five years, or in this case, it'll be three years. So um, hmm. I guess I would say the, the, the volleyball. I like the volleyball. Yeah, that's fair. Mine are, I want to start with a pretty standard one, which is, which is the swimming. Uh, always enjoy seeing the action in the pool. Um, and then I went with two a uh, little little more off the beaten path. So I I also said volleyball. I love watching the volleyball. There's this volleyball player for Italy. I can't remember her name, but one of the most insane physical specimens that I've ever seen. She jumps 97 inches into the air and spikes everything out of the back row, which uh, if you are a volleyball person, you know, that's impressive. If you're not essentially, you want to spike it from the back row. You have to jump like 10 feet back from the net and she jumps and lands like on the net anyway, really impressive. So volleyball. Yes. Also really enjoy beach volleyball. I'm lumping those in together because beach volleyball is always uh, a fun watch and just looks extremely challenging. And then my third in, in the same way that, that you were talking about sports, you really only watch once every four years. I love watching water polo. It is, uh, first of all, looks absolutely miserably difficult. I mean, maybe the hardest sport to play. I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who would tell me why their sport's the hardest sport to play, but to, to, you know, swimming is one thing, but to have to like wrestle people in the water and then also score more goals than your opponent, do not, do not sign me up for water polo, but to watch that and watch those uh, both men and women go head to head and take their frustration out on each other is, is something else. And anytime water polo is on, I'll sit down and, and track the action at least for a little while. All right. Rule three is done. Going to get to our friend here, Frater Kenny Soto. Very pleased to welcome and now special guest on this episode of the Teak Nation podcast, Frater Kenny Soto. Kenny is a graduate of the City College of New York, Kappa Sigma chapter. Kenny, how are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing, doing well. Thank you. Want to start with a, a piece that I almost blew it before I started recording, but uh, but I didn't, and that's what's important. You are coming to us internationally. So we've had, uh, previously we had uh, someone we interviewed on the podcast who was actually on Mount Everest in Nepal, which was wow. was pretty exciting. Uh, you are in South Africa, which is, I would say it's slightly less exciting, but much more exciting than being here in America for a podcast interview. So uh, what took you to South Africa and how is life over there compared to uh, what we are probably experiencing here at home? It's a great question. I think I can answer it in two ways. So the short story is I have a fiance and we met in China and eventually we moved to South Africa because she's South African. And 
We have been here for about a year and a half, just sheltering through COVID. It's been interesting to see, I guess, the difference between how my family in the States is dealing with COVID, where pretty much now, thanks to America being a first world country, and because of vaccinations, things are somewhat getting more normalized and back to normal, if you will. Whereas with South Africa and the economy and the access to vaccinations here, we're pretty much um, heading backwards to some degree. Gotcha. Uh, aside from COVID, like if I were to describe my experience here, I would say it's amazing. One, because the food here is to die for. And two, it's not, I would say even with the current news that is going on about the looting and the rioting, it isn't as bad as depicted on television, depending on where you are. And for more, most tourists, if you're not like in the Kruger visiting animals and the great game reserves, you're most likely in the tourism areas like Johannesburg, Cape Town, Durban, and Pretoria. And because of how, I guess, centered the, the financial structures and the economy is in those specific cities, I guess like the, the most wealthiest of wealthiest parts of the country, um, the, the, the bad things that are happening around the country elsewhere aren't happening there. So it, it's really like disconnected from what you see in the news and what you experience while you're actually in the country. Well, it's interesting. You could, you, sorry, Don, um, you could pull a snapshot of probably any major city in America, right? And show it on the news in Spain and someone would look at it and say, holy cow, America's a wreck, right? And exactly. Could, yeah. right? And then you could show La Jolla, California and, and mm -hmm. a completely different picture. So it, it's interesting perspective because, you know, you, you see one thing that, that makes the headlines and then you're sitting here saying it's, it's actually great. I'm a big fan of food, so that yeah. to me. Um, so that's uh, that's interesting. That's good perspective. Certainly, and I would add. Oh, you were gonna say something, Donald. I was curious as you dive into your professional experience. What has it been like working remotely in South Africa? A lot of us think about how we had to work remotely, right? In America, again, a first world country, and still still do our jobs. How has it been for you working in South Africa? in the work that you're doing professionally? So just to add a little context, um, I think it was back in 2019, I was teaching in China as an English teacher and my fiance and I decided to become digital nomads, which back then, like it was a specific type of worker. They work remotely. They were probably the only type of people besides, I guess, small business owners who own their own agencies and can work remotely. Like we were the only type of people that had that, that kind of lifestyle. So I had already started to prepare myself for working remotely from Asia, which is like the time zone difference if you have clients in America is ridiculous because everyone's asleep. Whereas now I'm in South Africa, at least I have a six hour block of time where it's more easier to engage with my team and, and work in the same kind of schedule. So it's been interesting to say the least, mainly because I, I guess I got lucky in doing remote work before COVID happened. Like no one knew what was going to happen in 2020. And I just like fell into it. Also, I think tech and digital marketing specifically kind of like meshes well, if you will, with remote work in the sense that a lot of the tasks that you get, you get assigned a week, maybe a month prior to actually executing on it, especially if you're in a strategic role. 
where a lot of your time can be spent by yourself. You don't necessarily need to have meeting upon meeting. You can execute on a specific task and report on your findings and your progress while your team is in a different time zone. And I would say that the most important thing, I wouldn't even call it a lesson, it's just an observation that I've seen while working remotely this past year and a half is not every team is equipped for remote work. It kind of depends on one, the profession. Like I said earlier, marketing seems to be an easier profession to work with when it comes to remote work. But if you're like in sales where you have to be contacting your clients in a specific time period and you're in a different time zone, then it may not work for you. And there's like face-to-face businesses where you have to be in person regardless of whether or not COVID is going to be around who knows how long. Like eventually there will have to be a shift back into working into the office just because that that facilitates better progress in whatever industry you're in. It's very interesting to hear you say that. We actually had a discussion this past week in our senior leadership team and in this very subject, which is that there are certain departments and marketing is one of them that we're highlighting how they can be just as effective, if not more effective, working remotely where a majority of the rest of the organization, because we we feed off of each other and the energy and the camaraderie and the mm-hmm. piece of, if I need to have a conversation with Alex, I can walk over to his office and have a conversation where for the last 15 months, it had to be, I sent him a text or I sent him an email, right? Hey, when can we get together and try to work into a schedule to have a 10 minute check-in? It's just so much more efficient and effective to just be able to walk yeah. over, have a quick conversation, move on, like things move quicker. And there's that dynamic of the human experience that you play off of each other to draw energy and, and to create a little bit of synergy. Exactly. And I would add that, I mean, what I, what I can predict, at least for the tech field is that we will definitely have like a hybrid model because there are certain ideas and conversations that you can't experience if you're doing it through a screen. Like sometimes you'll get a thought and you need to like express it to a teammate in that moment before it goes away. Whereas if you have to schedule talking about that idea after you have it, it may not have the same spark that you initially intended it to have. And then it won't have the intended um, outcome that you're looking for as well. I want to uh, I want to get in uh, dive in a little more to the field you're in and, and you mentioned a little bit about it I should have should have mentioned up top done the little the little bio we we're so excited to get into to South Africa um, Kenny is uh, in the digital marketing field uh, I know you do some consulting work you do some podcasting you do some blogging a little a little bit of everything is there anything significant that I I missed in there uh, I would add that I take a lot of time working on owning my name on Google. I feel like if I can summarize what my actual job is, it's not only helping whatever client I'm serving or whatever team I'm on. It's also serving myself for my career when I'm 80 years old. And I believe, and we can like dive into this um, later, but I believe that the best way to maximize your career is to own your name online, starting with your Google search page. I like that. We will earmark that and return to it. Um, I'm curious, though, before we get there, what what appealed to you about this field? What took you down this career path and, and caused you to get into this realm where you really are working to pump out content, working to help other businesses? It seems like it's a very could be very rewarding, also very exhausting at times. What brought you to this point in your life? So it's it's a uh, it's very interesting because the answer to that question was a fraternity brother. His name is uh, Gensis Tavares, and 
I joined the fraternity one semester before he did, and we became really great friends. And I was a music major, and I was planning on owning like a studio or working at a record label after graduating college. And over time, I saw a lot of the alumni in my network graduating and working at Starbucks because the music field in and of itself is very competitive. So I was basically complaining about the situation that I was eventually going to be in to my fraternity brother, Jensis. And he was like, hey, I saw a flyer on campus about this entrepreneurship program. Maybe you want to check it out because it can help you like at least get some new skills, broaden your horizons, et cetera. So I took him up on it. I ended up going by myself. And there is where I met my mentor. His name is Maurice Bretsfield. And we went through the entrepreneurship program. I didn't actually end up creating an app or a business because at the end of the day, like entrepreneurship is for specific people. And I don't feel like I fit into that mold. But through that experience, my mentor, Maurice, wanted me to continue learning about marketing specifically under his tutelage because he's been doing marketing since... And for anyone who doesn't know this, you can definitely Google it. Um, there was a program called Lotus, which was like when the first computers came out and you used it to do basically what Microsoft Excel does today. And that's how he learned about the internet. He was like a, a typewriter and he did Morse code in the Vietnam War and stuff like that. So he he got me into tech because one, his stories were amazing. But two, he he told me that regardless of the field I was going to join, having skills in digital marketing was going to give me an edge against my competition. So back in 2015, when I actually started working under a nonprofit where he was a consultant, it was called SCORE. I was basically in charge of helping him grow the nonprofit and help all of his clients with their digital marketing problems. And why this was unique is instead of having to do a marketing or communications major in college, he put me in the real world right away. I didn't know anything about Facebook advertising. I didn't know anything about content marketing. I didn't know anything about copywriting, email marketing, SMS marketing, what have you. All of these clients had specific questions. Those questions in and of themselves became my textbook. He would have a client come to me, ask me, hey, how do I find the right leads on LinkedIn? And instead of Maurice giving the answer, he would say, here's my associate, Kenny, he's going to help you. And I would basically give myself, give myself homework that week to figure out what's the best strategy to use. And over time, I realized that one, most marketing problems, if not a lot of marketing and sales problems can be solved by using YouTube and Google, because there are thousands of experts online who are trying to promote themselves. And the best way to promote yourself online is to answer these questions. And two, at the end of the day, each, each problem, if you will, kind of repeats itself. So at a certain point, like learning these things don't necessarily need to take five years and $40,000 of student loan debt to learn specific to marketing. Of course, there are other fields of work where it does help to go to university. But what I've learned when it came to communications and marketing is if you have Google, you can pretty much learn as much as you need to. And then the university is ready for you to network and to apply the fundamentals to, I guess, specific theories that a professor should be giving you. So that's like the roundabout way of basically saying, I got into digital marketing because a fraternity brother of mine told me to go to this event. I met a cool guy who became my mentor and he basically threw me into the world of marketing. I love that review. One piece I wanna really get into, Kenny, is what you talked about there, which is homework. One piece we talk about in our building all the time is doing your homework. So two part question, one is, 
how much homework did you have to put in to become competent as you started to get into this field? And how active are you today in being a student and continuing to grow those skills? Because I think that folks can really get, get on tilt on both ends of that, which is they want the success right away without doing the homework. And then a lot of folks, once they arrive, don't understand there's a, there's a nurturing process. There's a pruning process that has to continue day in and day out. So I'd love for you to talk about how you've taken on those two pieces in your life. I think it was, and I could be getting this quote wrong. I think it was FDR who said, comparison is the thief of joy. And that quote sticks to me to this day mainly because I find that it, it's very difficult not to compare yourself to people, but you have to have like, I guess, an intention around comparing yourself to others, where if you're comparing yourself to other people because you're jealous of what they've done, you're not necessarily opening your, yourself up to the question of how did they get there? And you can compare yourself to others, but if you have the intention of asking yourself that question, how did they get there instead of why not me? you shift your brain into constantly thinking about there are so many people out there who you can learn from. People's careers are templates for your own. You don't necessarily need to follow them step-by-step step because you're your own unique individual. But at the end of the day, tying back to your question about like doing the homework, the homework never ends. And I think one of the challenges that we have, especially when we graduate college, is thinking that you need to get the master's degree or you need to get the PhD or you need to continue through some professional development or certification course in order to find the next skill where sure it can help you to a certain degree pointing you in the right direction for finding the next skill you need to learn but because of the free resources and I emphasize the word free resources online you don't necessarily need to go that route of finding a program to continue doing the homework, regardless of the industry you're in, but the profession you have. And I think I learned this at being like a, a frauder in the bond is the most important part about college is it's supposed to teach you how to think, not what to think, how to teach yourself over time, not, not basically like having the crutch of having someone teach you. Like, obviously there are teachers everywhere, and I guess that's part of the contradiction. You have to be the teacher yourself. If you're not focusing on creating your own curriculum, creating your own homework assignments, either daily or weekly, one, you will fall behind your competition because part of working in business, at least, is competing with thousands of other people for job opportunities you're looking for. And two, if you're not competing with yourself, you may improve over time, but it won't be conscious. It won't be directed. It won't have like a specific agenda in mind and you might get lucky, but when it comes to your career, you don't want to leave it to luck. I think the next, the next question ties in to that last point there. And that is with your own career, with your own pathway that, that you've taken, you have a lot of balls up in the air seemingly with a lot of different projects that you have going on, different clients, companies that are asking you for, for guidance. How do you find the time to stay driven, stay focused, stay, stay moving forward toward both the goals of your clients and your own personal goals? So I would say taking a quick step back, one thing that a lot of people don't talk about and consider is your family and like the people you're supposed to, supposed to spend time with outside of work. If you don't have that conversation with them up, up front saying, Hey, 
I have these priorities set for the house and the family. I have these priorities set for my clients and or job. And I'm going to try and add this third one, which is growing in my career outside of work, which may eat up some of my time in, in this relationship or in my family duties. If you don't have that conversation, it will put a strain at home. And I think that's the, the first part, the foundation that you need to focus on before even considering doing personal branding, doing content outside of your job. Then it comes to, do you have a good handle on the work that you're doing right now that you're getting paid for? Because you, it will be very difficult to balance your personal brand, which is a job in and of itself, and your nine to five, if you don't have a handle on the nine to five. One thing that I would recommend to anyone is, and, and I mean, like this tool has been tried, into, tried and true for so long. You have to look at your calendar and you have to ask yourself, will I have time for both my family and my job and a personal brand with the schedule I have now? If the answer is no, the next question is, am I sleeping too much? Uh, do I want to sacrifice some sleep now for the betterment of my career in the future? Sometimes you don't want to do that. What can you move around in your calendar? Are you keeping track of your time? That's another question. Um, a lot of the time that I've seen some of my own colleagues ask, how do I do this? I just schedule 30 minutes to an hour a day right before work to work on my blog or my podcast, work on an email newsletter that I'm trying to roll out right now. And if I don't get it done today, I'll get it done tomorrow. There's no rush. Eventually, I'm going to try my best to hire an assistant so I can scale out my content. At the end of the day, you have to think about your life as a system. If you want to add this third aspect into your career, which I think eventually everyone's going to have to do, especially if you work in tech. So I guess just like put it as a list. The first thing you need to do is you need to talk to your family to make sure they're on board and they know what to expect from you when you make this career shift so you can grow in your career. Two, you need to make sure you have a handle on your job before you even start adding even more work outside of that because it's really like a side hustle. And three, you need to put your expectations, whatever they are, in your calendar in order to get it done. Because if you don't, then again, you're going to haphazardly go about it. You might get lucky. You might produce the amount of content, the amount of videos, podcasts, um, written work that needs to happen in order for you to make a name for yourself in your industry. But I highly doubt that will happen if you don't have a plan set in place and you don't have it set in your calendar. Kenny, this might tie into some of the pieces you just highlighted. What is the most challenging aspect of your job that most people never see, right? Everybody can see the glitz and glamour when you say you're in marketing and all the pieces that you're in, you go look at your, your LinkedIn profile, right? It's dynamic in terms of there's a lot of pieces that you've done, a lot of great success you've had. What are the things that people don't see and don't know that have helped propel you, the challenges? That's a great question. I would say not having a single listener for the first year. Like, I mean, I've had like maybe four or five on average, sometimes 16. Sometimes I'll do, I think it was like episode 33 of my podcast. I had 90 listeners and I was like, yes, I finally made it. Next episode, seven listeners. What's wrong? Sometimes you, you just can't, like with all the predictive analytics, with all of the tools out there that can help you plan and, and gauge performance. At the end of the day, when it comes to promoting something online, which at the end of, like all of us do that, you, you have to be okay with one person seeing it. Like you're not going to become an influencer overnight. 
a, a person that I greatly admire who says it time and time again, his name is Gary Vaynerchuk. People see his success today, not knowing that he's been working at it since he was 19 years old. That's more than a decade's worth of work that you don't see until the decade is technically over and he's at the next stage of his career. The same thing's gonna happen with you. If you want to create a podcast, if you want to do something as simple as just Instagram reels or TikToks to like make yourself known on those platforms, be content with one person seeing it because that one person took the time out of their day to engage with you. Over time, you'll get two people. Over time, you'll get 100, then 1,000, then 10,000. But don't, don't focus on the 10,000 if you haven't focused on that one person. Because at the end of the day, it's all about one-to-one -one engagement. If I have only six people listening to my podcast, but it's Gary Vaynerchuk, Seth Godin, John Henry, and any other big name marketer or entrepreneur in the game, those six people will change my life. So you don't necessarily need to focus on the big numbers, focus on the specific people and how you're providing value to them. Because at the end of the day, content is an asset. And I keep tying this back to like marketing and tech, but I'm pretty sure like doctors, lawyers, um, people who own uh, car dealerships, they need to pro provide content online to keep their businesses afloat. That's just like how the economy works today. And if they're only focused on the big numbers and not really diving in deep and engaging with those people one-to-one, -one, you're not going to necessarily get the, the outcomes you're looking for. You're looking at what in the industry I work in, we call vanity metrics. They, they do provide some semblance of you're on the right path, but sometimes you need to look past the numbers and remember that you're dealing with people. And sometimes you just need one sale, one interaction to get to where you want to go. You don't need a thousand. We are uh, big, big Gary V fans here on the Teak Nation podcast. So I'm glad you brought him up and, and you've mentioned it a few times. And I know one of his sticking points is content and it's just a, a constant creation and, and pushing out new material, even when it might not be the best, even when it might not be valuable in that moment or, or people are going to look at it and think that's stupid, but just the act of doing it gets you in a, a habit and a routine to, to get better and improve. I want to tie it back a little bit to what we do here in the fraternity with our with our groups. And, and I think a huge part of what our best chapters do regularly is, is build a brand on campus that people want to be a part of. And so if you could take what you do and what we've talked about a little bit and tie it back into to how our chapters could be better about creating their own brand, creating their own content. What advice would you give, say, a social media chair or a chapter president who came and said, hey, you know, we only have about 25 guys. We think we can get to 50, but we need a bigger presence on campus in the social media sphere within our community. What can we do to improve ourselves in that aspect? That's a great question. I would say, and, and as I say this, whoever's listening, I want you to consider what happened last year. A lot of us couldn't be on campus and we had to recruit online. You have to do two things when you're growing your, your chapter's brand on campus in, in the sense of like creating a brand for the chapter overall, but also for recruitment. The first thing to consider is you need to meet people where they are, not where you want them to be. So if you're not comfortable doing TikTok videos, if you're not comfortable doing Instagram reels, if you're not comfortable doing YouTube videos, 
that's okay. But don't make the decision if you haven't tried. If you have not done at least one video and actually posted it and see how it's done, you should not have an opinion on the tactic. That doesn't, that does that, that goes with anything because there will be new forms of, of communication and new social media channels in the future. So this just goes for all of those different things that will happen in the future that I can't predict. It, that, it just goes with that. It could be virtual reality. It could be augmented reality. It can be some new form of blogs and, and written content. If you haven't tried it, don't discount it because it could be the secret sauce to you getting more eyeballs. So that's the first thing. Now let's talk about what happens when you get those eyeballs. What is the, men the message that you're trying to convey? And I can only speak for Kappa Sigma and, and the chapter that we were trying to like, I guess, create the, the perception of, of we're not just like the typical fraternity you've seen on a Netflix show or a movie. Um, Teak in and of itself is such an historical piece of culture on many, many campuses that sometimes you may have to deal with events that happened in the past that have nothing to do with you and, and your cohort of, of frauders, but it's just like something you have to deal with, right? So you have to think about in each message that you send, how do you showcase the unique culture of your chapter today? Not what it was 10 years ago, not what it was 30 years ago, and sometimes not what Teak is overall. Obviously, you do need to highlight the national brand, but also what makes your chapter unique? What makes the specific people who are currently in that chapter unique and how that can that uniqueness help the person who you're trying to recruit? Sometimes that could be, hey, we want you to get involved on campus. We host these events. It will be a great way for you to meet new people. Sometimes it's, hey, we have this network of professionals that when you graduate, you can tap into to get a new job. Sometimes it could just be, hey, we understand that going from college to work to home is boring and you might just need a new group of friends. That can be us. Tailor that message to a specific piece of content that you're creating and keep in mind that that message can change and you, you can have multiple, but you don't want to just stick to one. You wanna experiment and always keep in mind, how is your chapter unique? I think if you keep in mind those two things of experiment with as many types of content as possible and always think about what makes your chapter unique right now in the present moment, you'll win in recruiting those potential um, great future brothers for the, the chapter. Love the advice. Kenny, let's talk a little bit about the future. Someone who is in the game, where do you think the industry is going? And I'm curious what platforms you think are continuing to grow and have the ability to really take off? What platforms are you seeing that are starting to die or recede? And then the third aspect that I think is interesting, what are some of those platforms that are evolving? I'll give you an example. Facebook at one point, right, really was compelling to a younger generation of, of folks who were engaged. It obviously started out with college students, Mark Zuckerberg. And, but now it really is more of a tool that is used for the old, an older generation, I'll say old generation, older generation have started to really use Facebook. And for some folks, that's where they get all their news and information altogether. So curious what your thoughts are about what's, where are we going? What's the next cutting edge piece? What are things that are receding a little bit? And then where are platforms that maybe they're just evolving their demographic or folks that are engaging? So I'll, I'll start off on like the best way to conceptualize this for myself is like in three levels. So level one is thinking about all the platforms that are out here right now. So you have YouTube, 
You have Google in the sense of search engine optimization. You have tying into that your website. You have LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. And if I didn't mention Instagram, Instagram and to a degree because people are still on there, Snapchat. So you have multiple platforms. You don't need to be on all of them, but you do need to be where your audience is and where your content can be maximized. So at level one, know what the platforms are and know whether or not you are good at written content, audio content, or video, or a mix of two or, or all three. So that's level one. Tying into the future, I really do believe LinkedIn video isn't just going to be about business. Their organic reach is Facebook 2014, 2015, when you didn't need to pay to get a post seen. And eventually they will charge you to get that reach that they're providing now. So if you're not taking advantage of it, you're losing out on an extreme amount of value. LinkedIn, if you know how to spin the copy and spin how the content is produced and presented, it doesn't necessarily need to be just business to business um, messaging. It can be business to consumer. You just need to figure out like how to make that context appropriate to the platform. So I would say LinkedIn video, very, very underutilized. TikTok and Instagram, people are talking about this ad nauseum. If you're not on Instagram reels and you're not on TikTok, you are also losing because eventually they will charge more for the reach they're providing now. So I would say at level one, it's all the platforms and knowing what content format works for you. Number two, LinkedIn, TikTok, and Instagram is where you need to be. Now, also on level two, I would say what you don't need to focus on as much, mainly because of what's happened with Apple and iOS 14, is because a lot of users now have the power to not be tracked. Facebook has lost this value as an advertising platform. And I don't know how they're going to circumvent that. But the bigger point of view here is that it's not just Facebook who's going to suffer. It's also Google Chrome as a browser. Um, and shameless plug, I talked about this in my podcast. Uh, Howard, I forgot his last name. He's one of my old guests. I think it was like episode nine or 10. We talked about the end of third-party data and cookies. Google Chrome is no longer going to be valuable when it comes to like remarketing people because you'll have the ability to not be tracked online, especially on mobile. It's going to be a little bit of the same status quo on your desktop computer, but when it comes to mobile marketing and mobile advertising, tracking your, your customer around the world, if you will, the digital world is going to be much more difficult. And then I guess this is like a tidbit for anyone who wants to do some research after listening to this podcast. I can never pronounce his last name, so forgive me for not mentioning it, but his first name is very easy to find online. Bali G, B-A-L-A-J-I, talks about the future of social media as it pertains to cryptocurrencies and crypto technology. Eventually, you will have the ability to, I guess, have a digital profile that can connect to all current social media channels and future ones that we don't know exist because all of your personal content that you're producing will be accessible on the blockchain. So the best way to connect this to what might be happening right now, because this hasn't happened yet, is NFTs. If your audience is familiar with non-fungible tokens, if they're not, they're basically a way to um, say, this piece of art that you see right now is a unique piece of it 
because there's a specific uh, code of letters and numbers that doesn't exist elsewhere. And if you expand upon that so that it's not just talking about art and it's talking about someone's social media, your future Twitter is also your future Facebook in a way. I guess the only way to like, because I'm still learning about this, the only way to explain it in the best way possible is all of the content that you're producing right now can be transferable to any and all social media ch uh, channels that are happening right now and in the future. So those are the three levels. And the third one I put at the end because it's something that's still being discussed. And the only person I know who's talking about it right now is the source, but no one else is talking about it. So I don't know if it's going to happen per se, but it is something to keep your eye on. Well, and while we're doing shameless plugs, a little cross promotion, if folks go back to episode 21 in season two, we had a former director of the U.S. Mint, Ed Moy, also past Grand Preakness, and he talked about uh, cryptocurrency and talks about some of the aspects that you were getting into, Kenny. So uh, he, phenomenal resource in sharing information, and he really dives deep into how it was formed cryptocurrency and also where it's going and which ones he thinks were good investments, bad investments. He gave, he gave Alex some, some great investment advice as well in the podcast. Because, uh, well, I've, I've uh, used the advice sparingly. We'll just say that. Um, I, I want to. I do want to get back to what you mentioned toward the beginning about owning your own brand on Google, because I think that's a really interesting concept. At what what caused you to shift from I'm in the I'm a I'm a digital marketer. I'm in the marketing field. To I want to make sure that that when someone searches my name or searches my brand or whatever that is, that I have complete ownership of what they're finding and what they're seeing. And then I'm sure there's a lot that goes into it. But, uh, you know, if you can share a quick snippet on on your tactics, your strategies and, and how you go about that. So I got very lucky, Alex, because it wasn't a shift. It was the very first task my mentor told me to do before I even started helping him with his clients. He said, you need to buy KennySoto.com. And if I were a marketing professor today, my first assignment, even though I'd be asking my students to spend money, it's money that it would be well spent. My first assignment would be buyyourname.com. That would be my first assignment. No matter what it costs, most likely, if it's not taken, your full name's not taken, it's going to cost you $12.99 on GoDaddy.com, right? And the reason why you want to do that is because that's the new resume. If someone, you're going to use your resume for any job application anyway, but if you are able to luckily get on that hiring manager's table, like your resume on that table, they're going to Google your name to see what comes up. If any disparaging images or videos come up, if nothing comes up at all, but at the best case scenario, if you own the first page of Google and anyone who's listening, if you want to test this out, just put Kenny Soto on Google and you'll see that I own the whole page. The reason why you want that to happen is because that's my new business card. I don't necessarily need a physical one. If I'm networking with people, I can just shake hands, talk about who I am, be interesting, be interested. And then eventually, hopefully, they Google me to connect with me on Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram. But as they're doing that search, they're gonna see that I'm everywhere. And I would say, it one, it took me five years to get to own that page. And I got lucky because there's only 1,017 Kenny Soto's in the world. Whereas if you are, you know, I, I, I guess like John Smith, very generic name, there's hundreds of thousands of John Smiths out there. It's gonna take you longer than five years, but you'll be in the right direction if you buy a domain like johnsmith.info 
or johnsmith.me because I'm pretty sure .com is taken. And then you start creating content. And when it comes to the creating content portion, it's not about creating 100% perfect quality. It's getting the best that you can out of yourself every week. That's all it is. If you can produce 48 to 50, so you can give yourself at least two weeks break in the year. But if you can produce at least 48 to 50 blog posts or podcast episodes or uh, short form videos, post it both on social media and on your website. And you do that consistently for five years, you will own maybe not the whole page when someone searches your name on Google, but at least a portion of the first page when someone searches your name on Google. And that's better than nothing showing up and or some old college pictures that you don't want showing up that you posted and you thought by deleting it, it wouldn't be saved on Google. Uh, spoiler alert, once you post it, whether you delete it or not, it's on the cloud, it's up there. Someone will be able to find it. And there are tools that are available for employers to find that stuff. So in order to, I guess, push it down and make yourself more reputable and, and trustworthy, that's another thing to keep in mind, to make yourself seem more trustworthy before someone um, sets you up for an interview, you have to take that step of owning your website and creating content consistently over time with the expectation that the results will show themselves in five years time. It's not gonna happen overnight. It's not gonna happen in one year. It's not gonna happen in four years. I only started seeing my results that I've actually, I'm proud to present to the world after five years of hard work. And because I got lucky, cause there's not a lot of Kenny Soto's out there. Well, I think uh, I'm still very intrigued by, by that idea because I don't think it's something a lot of people do at least not, you know, unless you're in the field specifically. And I just, I love your message about patience because we're all looking for that instant gratification. We're all looking for that immediate return on investment on right stocks or cryptos or, or a blog post or a podcast or whatever it is. And, and what you're saying, I think makes perfect sense. You're not playing for the next year. You're playing for 20, 25, 30 years from now, when you have your brand, when you have your product that you're proud to show off and you know that the work you put in has led you to that point. So um, I think it's I think it's a fantastic message. I don't think it just has to apply to the digital marketing field. Like you said, it could be a doctor, it could be an accounting firm, but but that ability- Can I jump in, Alex? Be patient. Yeah, absolutely. So I got lucky in the sense that not only does my mentor help me keep up to date with digital marketing, but he also gives me books to read that have nothing to do with digital marketing. And one of the most recent books that I read last year was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And to some degree, some of the chapters are a little woo-woo, you know, kind of like the secret, right? But there's one chapter and even one passage that I have saved on my computer because it's so important. Napoleon Hill talks about the fact that a lot of people don't find success until they're in their 50s. And the reason why they don't find that success until their 50s is because they actually designed it that way. They didn't want success in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s. They were just setting themselves up for their 50s. They were building concrete foundational scaffolding with the intent of, I'm not going to be successful today. I'm going to be super successful 40 years from now. And it, 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 it's still something that I struggle with personally, because I sometimes want what I aspire to be right now. But I know personally, I'm not ready for that level of success. My fiance is not ready for that level of success if I luckily get there. So I need to just think about what are the things I can do today that 60-year-old Kenny's going to thank me for, that because of life expectancy, probably moving at an exponential rate, 140-year-old Kenny might 
think before, right? Because we're not necessarily thinking about the fact that we might live to 140 years old. That sounds insane, but consider this. We got vaccines for a world pandemic um, within pretty much a year, right? What can we do if all of the world's resources are put into cancer, okay? So we, our life expectancy may be some ridiculous number that we're not prepared to conceptualize. How are you preparing yourself for when you reach that age? And that's not just for your career. If you wanna tie it into investing, what are you doing with the dollars that you're making right now so that you can keep them when you're older? That's another thing to consider. It goes down to, not only that, it comes down to relationships. Who are you gonna be, who's gonna be your friends now that will be your friends decades from now? Um, how are you treating your body right now so that it, it's better when you're 80 and 90? Are you exercising today so that you can have a comfortable retirement and your back isn't hurting all the time? There's many levels to it, but it all comes down to not only patience, but if you want to like have a specific definition of what patience is, it's building the scaffolding so that you're happy 40 years from now. And, and sometimes it means sacrifice, but I don't think that's all it is, right? That you can enjoy your life today in multiple, multiple facets, but you also have to think about like that future self. And it's hard to conceptualize that future self, but sometimes mm -hmm. it's just making a letter or I guess not only writing to yourself, but thinking like, what is the ideal life? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm pretty sure the listener can hear my excitement when I talk about this and like my, my change in volume, because it's like something that I'm passionate about and something that I'm scared of, but that, that drives me towards like the goal that I want in my life. It's always thinking about that 40 year old, 50 year old, 60 year old, 70 year old Kenny. And not just thinking about Kenny today. Well, I love that. And and I think it's great advice. And and just through talking to you for this short period of time, I can tell it's something that you're you're living day in and day out. And uh, I feel like we could spend another two or three hours here diving into a bunch of different topics. So maybe we'll have to uh, to bring you back sometime and uh, that sounds awesome. And go round two. But uh, we uh, we really appreciate it, Kenny. We really do. I know we sort of. Uh, Got in touch with you through our, our good friend Pete Dawson and and mm -hmm. got on your calendar a little bit out of nowhere. But I'm very very thankful that you uh, took the time to be with us and and share your passion and your wisdom and your your energy with all of our listeners here. Thank you, I appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll do it again soon. Best of luck uh, getting home. Best of luck uh, with I'm assuming wedding planning. You said you have a fiance. Yep. So Assuming that's in full swing, which is uh, a lot of fun and also a lot of misery all wrapped up into <laughs> one fun, exciting bow, but uh, good luck with everything and, uh, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Kenny. And a final huge thank you to Kenny for his time, for his energy, for his words of wisdom. Really appreciate him coming in and sharing a little bit about his story and uh, the role that Teek has played in it and, and how he's found success. I think there's a lot to be learned anytime we, we bring in an expert in any field about how they got to where they are and, and how they operate and how they function. And I think that conversation with Kenny was no different. All right. Anything else? Covered a lot of ground in a short period of time. Everybody out there, keep attacking your goals. Get to work, keep, baby. Keep attacking your goals. Write them down, then attack them. All right. Well, now uh, I don't know why we don't just do like a standard audio clip that we can just plug in. Why every single episode I have to say smash the like button, subscribe, like. I'm sure that our tech folks could, could just peel that in if you'd like. I might might have to talk to them about that. Gary V does that. He does his standard at the end of his podcast. He does the same 
clip every time. It took me a while to figure out why he was saying the exact same words every time. And then I realized yeah. it was recording. Yeah. All right. So maybe something to look forward to for next week. But until then, smash the like button, like, subscribe, follow us on Twitter, on social media, both the Teak account and us individually. A lot of good content being created by us personally that I think you're really going to enjoy. Until next time, enjoy yourselves. Enjoy the Olympics. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye.